All right, guys, welcome back. I am joined by our first doctor on the show, uh, Dr. Ruben Montanet. I'm going to mess it up. Montemagni? Montemagni. That's good. Montemagni. That's it. Good. All right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dr. Ruben is the easy way I remember it. Uh, That's it, yeah. That's it. He, um, he has a practice out in San Diego. He's a chiropractor and, you know, I wanted to have him on for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it's always a pleasure going in, uh, to see him and, uh, you know, um, you know, it's chiropractic work from my experience has kind of always gotten a, I guess a negative reputation, let's say, or at least in my experience. And, um, you know, it was just by doing a Google search, let me back up a little. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm too excited already for the interview. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> um, so I was dealing with a neck inju- injury from jujitsu. And this <laughs> neck injury was lasted probably four to six months that I was like in and out of jujitsu, like was not training how I wanted to. Um, I had gone to a so bad that like my neck knotted up. I went to the hot, like went to the ER and they were like, just gave me muscle relaxers. Um, my, uh, physician, like put me in touch with like, a um, physical therapist. I did that for like a month and a half. Didn't help at all. I then went and got some acupuncture, which I kind of had to, you know, bribe essentially my doctor to do, uh, not literally bribe, but let's say beg. Um, he barely passed me on acupuncture and then, you know, he, that didn't work. The next thing he says is, okay, well, we're gonna have to get you in here to do an MRI. And in my mind, I'm like, shit, man, like clearly is no idea what's going on. So like, what am I going to do? Um, and from whatever sparked my interest, it was like, huh, maybe you should check out chiropractic work. And I remember having that thought. And my first thought was like, no, people like die or people always get killed by like that kind of stuff. And, (laughs) and so I decided to do some research and that wasn't the case as I very quickly found out. Um, and so I even remember, you know, I did a Google search, found the best, uh, maybe the best, I, I found the best in my opinion, but I found a Thank chiropractor, you. Dr. Rubin in uh, PB. And I remember sitting down for the first time we met and I even was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I've stayed away from this just from pure ignorance. And, you know, um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about like what's going on with my neck and what's happening. And, um, Dr. Rubin did an excellent job of explaining, you know, the way the spinal cord works, the way that, you know, your nerve endings sit kind of on top of each other and, you know, what happens whenever they get out of misalignment. And so we took some x-rays, he did an adjustment and I felt better instantly. And, you know, from there, it was only really like, I guess like five to 10 minute conversations we had because, you know, he's he's a busy guy. He's got uh, other people and he's the help. Um, And so I'm, honored and thrilled to be able to sit down with him for an extended period of time. And so we can dig deeper on some of the, some of the basic uh, conversations um, that we've been having. So Dr. Rubin, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I always like, I always like to start with like, how did you kind of figure out, you know, where that you wanted to be um, a doctor and that you want to be a doctor of chiropractic because in my belief system, I think a lot of people struggle to really become in tune with what they want to do. Um, I, in my personal experience, I believe we're kind of pressured almost. We're kind of 
um, you know, told at a young age, you got to go to college. After college, you got to get a job. After you get a job, you have to get a wife. After you get a wife, you have to get a house. You have to have kids. You have to go and die, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much in that order. Yeah, in that order. Yeah. And so I'm always curious about, you know, I think the hardest part for people is they get forced into selecting a degree. And that degree is basically going to be with a job you do for the next, you know, 40 some majority of your years, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so what was, uh, I guess, you know, what was our, what was your journey like with being a chiropractor? Did you, let's start with, did you always want to be one? That's a great question. I mean, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's what we always hear. And, uh, you know, how does a child know what the heck they want to be in an ever changing world? So like for myself, you know, when, when people first asked me that, I remember I was real little. And the first thing I said, I said, I want to be a ninja. And they said, oh, you can't be a ninja. <laughs> and those, those are real. I said, okay. I never really believed them. And we can get to that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But after that, you know, like you said, you get pressured into it. So I was like, oh, what do I want to be? I should be something that makes money. I should be something that I enjoy. You know, you know, there's so many different things. Um, and uh, I, chiropractic was absolutely not in the in the purview, right? It was nowhere near anything about me. I came from a big family of immigrants, um, Italian. And, uh, you know, that was certainly not part of their world. If, if it was healthcare, right. it was a medical doctor, a top doctor. You got to be the top doctor, right? Um, and so, you know, that was, that was something I was not interested in, but I assumed I should pursue. I mean, I've always been interested. I've always been a sensitive person. I've been very empathetic. Um, I thought it was weird when I was a kid that, you know, I didn't laugh when others got hurt. And uh, later in my life, I found out that's probably a good thing. Else you'd be a doctor. Right? <laughs> so, um, you know, first, you know, so I thought, oh, maybe be a medical doctor. And then, uh, you know, as I went through school and stuff, I realized I really didn't want to do that. That was not a passion. Um, when I graduated from college, I became a, uh, well, actually, I was a musician before I graduated from college. So I, mean, I was a musician okay. for a long time. I toured. I played guitar. In the 90s we were really cool yeah brunch. did you have like a band and everything oh yeah we had a band we toured with other bands you know um oh that's awesome yeah so and i guess because of ndas i can't say names so i won't uh. <laughs> especially since this is a you know podcast but, uh, All right. but i spent some some you know good time in my youth doing that and that was a big big passion for me but i'd always been interested in um in healthcare, just not western medicine i I had also grown up doing a lot of martial arts, especially, you know, the Chinese, you know, area of martial arts, Kung Fu, all, all different aspects. I grew up in the Bay Area, so we had a very strong Cantonese community. I think I've mentioned that to you. And I grew up doing, you know, Tai Chi, Bagua, Kung Fu, all, all different kinds of stuff. Um, and by through doing that, I learned uh, their way of their, the, that, that old traditional way of the Southern Chinese um, community, how they looked at the world, how they interacted, and everything they believe for martial arts, they believe for healthcare. There's the balance, there's chi, there's yin and yang, there's all these different elements that you take into consideration, not just for your life, but say you were a doctor or you're a martial artist, whatever it is, right? You're, a, you're an accountant. Mm -hmm. So that always kind of stuck with me. And I used Chinese medicine as my primary healthcare choice um, from the age of about 14 when I could actually make a choice. And um, that was kind of my primary. And then I, you know, I became a musician. I toured the world. I still use Chinese medicine for myself, but always very interested in always reading books, learning more. Um, and then eventually that kind of petered down, probably because I had too much fun. 
as a young man <laughs> playing music. Uh, we were all there. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Realized that probably wasn't good for my health over the long term and I went back to school. And when I went back to school, I, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Right. So I started taking some sciences. I, I did some classical archaeology, thought that would be cool. I tried some different things. And then I finally kind of focused on on healthcare. Um, I became a paramedic after I got my bachelor's because I needed to make some money to go back and do more. So I was a paramedic sure. for San Francisco Fire Department for a long time. And then I, uh, for a couple of years, I should say it was a long time to me. Um, and uh, <laughs> let's see what else I do. Uh, I, I did some professor work um, in some of the you know colleges in the Bay Area. Um, as I got back into my master's, teacher's assistant, and then you know I was, I was working in that arena um, while still doing some EMT and paramedic work. And then eventually I said, hey, I should just go to school and do this Chinese medicine thing, which has always been a big part of my life and a big part of my philosophy, Taoism, all that stuff. Um, and so I did. And as I was doing that, oh, I, I forgot to mention, I also had been practicing judo and jujitsu since I was about 12 more competitively. Um, the Kung Fu was more just my spiritual, but I loved the other thing was like, you know, let's get physical, let's get some aggression out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and I had become proficient and pretty good, uh, you know, in my own estimation. And I was competing a lot. And so I started going to Chinese medicine school. I was, you know, hitting my apex with judo competitions and going around the world and that kind of stuff. Um, and then at some point I got hurt real bad horrible tear in my left knee, uh, ACL tear. And this had, this was probably tear number five or so because I had torn it right. a few other times. You know, all martial artists, we have patterns you know, mm -hmm. in my knee. Uh, uh, and yeah. um, and then, you know, I, I healed from that slowly. I never went and saw a medical doctor. Um, I always did yoga. I did Chinese medicine. And, and then after a couple more tears after that, you know, continuing through Chinese medicine school, rehabbing, and then going back and competing, um, at about the eighth tear, I know at the eighth tear, I was like, Jeez. yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm 26. I'm walking around with a cane. Uh, my, my wife was just like, you know, Hey man, you know, I, I can't hear you whine anymore. Go see the chiropractor because just like you had heard, I thought they were, you know, devil winged killers bent <laughs> on global, you know, conquest. So <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, oh, they're crazy. But, you know, I was at the end of my rope. I had nothing else. I right. Like, it's got to work. So I'm going to try it. Because right? I don't want surgery. That was the one thing I didn't want. And right. um, so I finally made it to the chiropractor. She found me a really great guy that she had known because my wife had worked in chiropractic for many years, uh, running the businesses and stuff. So I was familiar with many of them. So I went to one guy and went in there on my little cane. This is big Italian dude, you know, little table. It's just kind of funny. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Maybe feel at ease. Explained it, much like I explained it to you. Um, I was like, ah, it makes actually totally, to total sense. That's pretty, you know, straightforward. Okay, let's do it. Gets me on the table, and then he gives me this big-ass neck adjustment. Just boom. And I remember, I was just like, I popped up off the table. I was just, I couldn't see anything. It was just kind of white. I could breathe all of a sudden. Like, you know, I was just a human lung. And, like, you know, I could see. You were alive. Yeah, I was alive. I was like, I could see God. But I jumped off the table. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell did you do? And he's like, yeah, it was pretty good. Right? I was like, I, I, I guess so. He's like, but look, you're standing and you're not using your cane. Just from that one first adjustment at the top of C1. I was like, oh, my God. And literally, I had hobbled in there. I could put no pressure on it. And I was standing on it. And I was, my knees were bent. And I was like, wow, oh, let's go, right? And I was All like, right. Wow. 
And he's like, yeah, get back on the table. Let's finish it off. So finish the adjustment. I felt better. Just kind of like you. It was like almost instant. And obviously I wasn't back to fighting for him. It took a few months, but I mean, the, the, the speed, you know, that I convalesced and rehabilitated and improved over the next couple of months meant that I got back onto that mat and I was competing again. Um, and it was, it was mind blowing. I just, I kept going. Right. I, you know, I, I was consistent. Uh, right. It's just, it changed my life. And from that moment, I was like, wow, I'm in the wrong school. I got to go to chiropractic school. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that Chinese medicine was bad or anything. Right. Just, for me, how I interact with people, that was, it was a perfect blend of, you know, being a ninja and being able to help people with your ninja skills <laughs> all in one. And you're a doctor. I mean, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking all this, you get the family, you get what you want, you got the ninja, right? You got everything. Yeah, so you, so, Man, there's yeah. So that was it. That's a there's a that's a wild story. Um, there's a lot to break down in that story too. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> go for it, man. <laughs> Just laid it all out there. Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, damn, now I'm kind of like lost on where where to kind of go at first. Um, you know, so, jeez. Um, <laughs> maybe I should have cut, maybe I should have cut you off. Uh, whenever they started, the thoughts started coming up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Feel free. Yeah. So let's see here. Let me, let me try to run back through it in my head. Uh, okay. so when you're a kid, you wanted to be a ninja yep. and I mean, let's start there. So it sounds like you kind of were able to pull that off with all the different like martial arts you were doing. Um, you know, you were kind of going through, it sounded like karate, um, so how many martial arts were you doing at this time when you were about like 14? It sounds like there's quite a few. So 14, I was competing in judo and jiu-jitsu. Uh, yeah, so I was doing that. I had been doing, um, I believe officially it would be a trigram bagua. I had been doing that since I was about six. I had done a stint in uh, Kempo or maybe a year while doing that because there was a little crossover between the two schools who were next to each other. So I started learning a little bit of that. Um, and I had also been doing some sword forms for a certain, it's called Swimming Dragon Tai Chi. It was a lineage uh, uh, practice specific to that area. The family was up there. Um, and I've been doing okay. that since I was about, oh, I guess about, 11 or 12. So a couple of years for that. So sword, uh, Bagua, judo, judo and jujitsu were, were the primary things that I were doing at that time. So was there like a movie or like some icon you had that was like, Oh, like ninjas are the way, like, this is what I need to do. And then how did you kind of break that down into like, well, these are the arts. I mean, I guess the, the sword fighting one kind of makes sense. Right. Um, but, but how'd you kind of break down that the other things were, you know, how you're going to become a real life, uh, let's say ninja per se. That's a great one. So my, when I was, when I was a really young kid, I, I, I watched Bruce Lee, right. And like for so many of us Westerners, this guy comes on doing things that, you know, you've never seen anybody do. And to this day, I don't know mm -hmm. if there's anybody who's been faster. I mean, let's, let, 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 let's, yeah. let's do the test. But, um, but yeah, it totally blew my mind. Like the way he moved, I was mesmerized by his movements, by his, like yeah. his calm. And yes, he was acting, but you know, I had also seen him. I would seen footage of him, you know, doing martial arts ex exhibitions, you know, in the Bay area and Seattle as well. Um, and my father around that time had bought me a book and it was, I forget what it was called. It was this big, you know, one of those big table books. 
and it was a lot of pictures, yeah. but it was like the secrets of the East of the, of the Orient, you know, some, <laughs> some really non PC description of it. But within that book, all of a sudden I'm introduced to, you know, all these different um, philosophies in Japan and China and, you know, just little snippets of history, how old it is, and then snippets of different martial art forms and then snippets of ninjas, what they were used for, oh. right? And how they yeah. you know, were involved with samurai and how they were used all over the world, or at least the Eastern world at that time. And so I started really getting a, a feel for this, this whole world at that time. And then, you know, just being a product of being a young man in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 70s and 80s, I had a lot of friends who were Cantonese and a lot of friends who were Japanese and a lot of friends who were Vietnamese and a lot of friends who were Filipino. And I just, I was constantly exposed. And because I then started to have that interest in it, I was like, Hey, you know, when you do that with the Bali song and the butterfly knives, how do you do that? And they'd start showing me. And then when I was more interested, they'd be like, you know what? I don't know anymore, but you can ask my uncle. You can ask my yeah. cousin or, you know, my brother's teacher, yeah. or, you know, so that's how I started with all like the, like the, 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 the more Chinese style martial arts, the Kung Fu. And then after that, I wanted to get a bit more combative and a friend of mine was taking judo and I thought, Hey, let's, okay. you know, to be a ninja, I need to know more. So. Yeah. You gotta be able to grab people. So what, so a couple of interesting things. Number one, you know, it's, it's cool how you kind of like started asking people questions and that kind of opened the door to like, you know, it's like the way I see it and I'm kind of bringing this up cause I've, in other episodes, it's kind of worked this way where it's like, you know, you, you ask the one person, right? Your friend, it's like, how do you do that stuff with a knife? And they show you mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I need more. Yeah. And it's like, they might not have it. And so then just your curiosity just takes you down this rabbit hole. And then they just kind of can open up everything kind of to you. Like, well, I learned it from this person. So go talk to him. It's like, okay, well go talk to this guy. It's like, you know, you go down this like maze of just everything just kind of unfolding in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, you have to ask, we were, we were talking with the staff this morning at our chiropractic office and we were talking about obsession, right? The motivation doesn't last, passion wanes, but obsession is forever. So what you're obsessed with about, you, you will find it. And, and I, you know, usually if you really want to know, you're going to have to ask at some point. And if you don't ask, you're right. not that obsessed. And so is it, so then is a good way to say it, like, it's kind of just finding the thing that you want to ask the most questions about, like, would that be like kind of what aligns you with chiropractic work? Like you just wanted to add, like, you couldn't stop asking questions about chiropractic work. Like, well, why are you doing this to my neck? Did it fix my knee? Well, how does this work with that? Is that kind of like what, what how chiropractic work found you? hundred percent. It was just, I, I wanted to know more. I want, you know, I've always been a curious person. I understand that everybody, you know, is, is cat curious, but I'm, I consider sure. myself cat curious. I, if I'm really interested, I will just keep asking. And if, if there are no answers, I'll try to find them my own way. But I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. what I did. I kept asking, I kept wanting to know more. And the cool thing with it was the more I asked and the more I learned, the more there was to learn. And, and you know, mm -hmm. a new level of perception is open and you're like, oh, wow, I can think that way and it's good. Well then, and it works. So, so, you know, then you start following on yeah. down habit holes. And, um, you know, another really interesting thing I thought about it too, is I started getting into chiropractic because after you get to a certain level in, in traditional, you know, Japanese judo, you start learning how to reset the bones. You're, you're dislocating. You start learning how really? to put your, your friends and mentors, teachers, and students back together. 
that, <laughs> That's wild. which was always a very interesting thing to me in, in Japanese and, and Chinese martial arts, is that once you get to a certain level, then you take the same skill and you apply it for a different purpose. And so chiropractic was like this Western martial art. And it's, it's okay. blew my mind in that sense. I think that's what kept, kept me really obsessed with it and keeps me obsessed to this day. Yeah, that's pretty, that parallel is pretty wild. Um, let's, uh, let's take a step back. I, I thought of this question earlier. Uh, what is, I guess, and maybe this is a region thing. I, I really don't know the answer here, but what's the difference between like a ninja and a samurai? Uh, is it cultural or is it like the ninjas were more like special ops samurais or uh, what, what, when you were reading that book on your, uh, on your coffee table, what were like the key distinctions between like a ninja and a samurai? That's a great question. I mean, there's so much that I don't know about it, but I can tell you what I do know about it, what I think I know. And if anybody out there, you know, <laughs> sees, I'm saying something wrong, please correct me. Um, yeah. So samurai was, was, you know, not only the sword carrying, uh, knights that we think of or we correlate with the West, but they were also a class, right? A class ruling people or the people who helped the rulers rule. They kept their own versions of order. They, you know, they think of a feudal system, right? Castles, knights, and peasants and whatever. So the samurais were the knights and samurais had a very specific code through by which they lived. Honor, Bushido was the code, you know, honor and social status and how you spoke and how you bowed and how the, the tone you spoke at based on the person's social status. That was all intermixed with the samurai culture. And within the samurai culture as well, you were, you were expected to fight for your, your master, right? Your, your Lord, um, your, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, to do so you wanted all your people because this wasn't, you know, hundred thousand warriors. This was 10. 20 or 40 or maybe a few hundred right when it first started so a few hundred so a few hundred samurais for like one yeah for, for one lord or one fiefdom or one you know area so you didn't have as okay. many people so you had to have more skill again same correlation with western europe just different cultural standards and boats you know of operation so each one of those samurai had to be as skilled as they could in every different aspect so they learned everything they could about shooting an arrow Shooting it, uh, standing still, kneeling down in the middle of combat while running on a horse, upside down on a horse, backwards on a horse, um, where you shoot it when a guy's charging at you with a bunch of armor, where you shoot at it, you know, if somebody's running lightly and no, you know, all these different things. And then that applies to swords, long range, short range, mid range, which sword do you use? Which weapon do you use? Hand to hand combat, all this stuff. So they had to be trained in all aspects. And there was also a certain code of conduct, conduct expected. So that's the samurai, right? Um, okay. The ninja, on the other hand, or shinobi, I think they're more appropriately called in Japan. Um, okay. They were more of, I think, like a spy network. Um, they were trained in very specific ways of uh, gathering information. So, you know, the stealthiness and the climbing walls with the little you know, right. things and right. ropes and repelling. They were trained to do really crazy feats of strength, right? So, you know, you had to hide from people who were standing and talking. You didn't want them to know that you were in the middle of their courtyard listening to the conversations. Somehow you have to be underwater for 10 minutes. Um, so right. nin ninja were, were more um, 
they were cross-trained, just like samurai, but they were held to a different code of conduct. They were also not acceptable in, in society. So it wasn't cool to be a ninja. You were an outcast, usually. And there were oh, really? clans wherein if you were born into the clan, that's how you became a ninja. It's not an application. You know, hey, you know. So was it like secretive? Or did you not want people to know you were a ninja then? Yes, because the whole point is secrecy. It's fine. Of course, right? right? Yeah. Assassination. <laughs> You know, if you're in the CIA or the FBI, you don't tell people you're in the CIA or the FBI. Exactly. Hey, what do you do for? I'm a spy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we take down your number. <laughs> so it reminds me. It reminds me of uh, Archer. I don't know if you've ever seen yes, it, but uh, it's a cartoon show. Uh, I love whenever he he'll introduce himself. He's like, "I'm Sterling Archer, the best spy in the world," and then people are like, "That can't be the <laughs> the way you like introduce yourself." <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah it, basically like that. And, and over time, the the ninja or shinobi were. Their clans gained a lot of power. There was infighting between them and the samurai class. And then eventually they were co-opted by um, the ruling powers, the daimyo. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's a whole nother topic. So is it just the way it was structured? Is it a dynasty? Kind of, or, kind of uh, like, a, like a warlord that has a specific area that they take care of. Okay. Um, okay. And um, then ninja were used by the samurai to fight each other because they got to a point where you you know, kind of like politics. You don't want to just go kill everyone because you want to use them to make money. So the ninja go do their little secret stuff and that each one uses them. And they were eventually phased out of, um, phased out. I, who knows how they're used and how they've morphed into modern society and and all that other stuff. Because nothing really ever goes away. It just changes form. Right. Um, Right. Eventually they were kind of taken off the board in terms of a, of a force to be reckoned with as a whole. Because you know they were dangerous, and you know you can't control dangerous things that easy. So you try. Right. To so the big difference was just you know where they sat in society, how they were accepted or not accepted, and one was basically the police and the military, and those of respect and honor, and the other ones were highly dangerous, feared, and used for secrecy and assassination and stuff. And they were both used, I guess, by would it be the ruler, whoever the ruler was of these certain areas at the time? Yes, then? yes, in varying periods, more or less, you know, depending on what was going on in the political arena. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. yeah. How you wanted to use your power at the time, which one was more important to you? You know, yeah. if you're more secretive or more, you know, what is it? Uh, walk with a heavy stick mentality. Exactly. If you're more, you know, in the open or secretive. And, you know, over time, too, because their skills were so amazing, and there's a lot of crossover between China. Um, you know, old China as a, as a place of human occupation is one of the oldest places on the planet, right? And one mm-hmm. of some of the oldest continuous culture. And, um, you know, sure. ninjas come from there. There's, there's a whole group of people there that, you know, kind of like the baseline and that mixed with the native peoples of um, Japan who are actually of a more Caucasian background, which is really interesting. Um, they're called the Ainu. Uh, they're, they're the okay. natives and they had a very specific way of fighting, which was very ninja-like and it morphed into this very unique thing at a unique period of time in a unique place to be what we conceive of. Yeah. So it's, it's always interesting to me. So then what, so I guess I always kind of associated samurais with Japan, mm-hmm. but it sounds like ninjas were also Japan then. Mm-hmm. And then would, I guess, China, did they have their own form of samurais or ninjas or were they just completely different? They, I mean, I guess, 
Yeah. They, they did um, because Japan was very had been isolationist for such a long time. You know, they're an island and they're not a big island. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like the size of California, right. not the middle of the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. They kept it that way. So all the Chinese influence combined with the Ainu people and the Korean influences that came over, um, it formed a very specific society. What we know as modern Japan. And um, they're very structured and they're kind of the epitome of what we see in the West is like, you know, all of these structured and everything is done this way. You know, there's an art for everything, the art of folding your socks, the art of stirring your tea, you know, Um, and it's all, it's the same thing in China. It's just not, I I don't know how to put it because there's so many more people and they touch so many other cultures and countries. It's not as rigid. So you can find a, a correlative for everything okay. that goes on there, um, but it's just not called the same thing. So yes, there were the version of samurai in in China, you know, all over the place in different forms under different names, but they did the same services. They were the form of ninja. They were the form of healers. And, you know, it was it, it was just yeah, it wasn't as yeah. That's kind of expanded. Yeah. yeah, because then because and now. I'm, I want to kind of, let's take this transition kind of into jujitsu because, uh, from my knowledge, you know, so let me see how to kind of phrase this, right? Because it seems like a lot of the martial arts and a lot of the, whether it's hand to hand, whether it's grappling, whether it's, uh, you know, swords or arrows, it seems like most of it started in Asia and then kind of spread from there Mm -hmm. because, and the reason I'm saying this is because I know that the story of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is it started in Japan as well. And I believe it was more judo based. I'm not sure how much of it was ground fighting at the time, but a guy by the name of Mieda, you know, ended up landing in Rio de Janeiro, met the, um, uh, uh, wow. I can't believe I'm forgetting their name. Okay, I'll forget I'm, everybody's name today. <laughs> I'm going to get demoted. The Gracie's, the Gracie family. He meets the Gracie's and they're smaller, you know, I, which right now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, you know, Asians on average are kind of small already. So I'm kind of not sure how that happened. Um, but then they perfect. I go, oh, so then I guess they kind of perfected judo for the ground almost. Um, does that sound right to you? Well, y- yes, that, that, that that's a very apt and succinct um, breakdown of it. So what I do know about Japanese martial arts is there was a great um, exodus of martial artists from Japan and everybody who had learned from Kano, the father of judo and in Japanese martial arts, there's not really a lot of differentiation between judo and jiu-jitsu. If you're on the ground, they call it jiu-jitsu. If you're on standing, it's judo, right? Judo is more okay. specific for um, competition purposes, but it's all yeah. within the same thing, right? Yeah, the rule set kind of changes, but yeah. you know, it's essentially the same movements, the same you know positions, right? Uh, Points are just awarded differently. Exactly. And so th- right. there, was a, there was a mandate for all martial artists leaving Japan, go and spread this it's about spreading uh, our culture and our culture is 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 what's the word it's boiled down to this and and if people can understand this and the respect and the love of life and all the other stuff that it shows you what it's really about right. not just about fighting they will love you know they, they will be exposed to something greater than themselves and they will understand us right and and it's so that's so fascinating let me i'm going to cut you off yeah, real quick go. because in my mind i'm thinking about how you know, there's always this, it's so fascinating because I'm relating it back to England and what England decided to share with everyone was Christianity, (laughs) but they decided to go about it by a more forceful route per se than what you're hearing with, you know, Japanese, because the Japanese that 
like martial arts, like there's a thing that happens and I can attest to this only with jujitsu, but I'm sure it happens with all of them is once you come to this like level of understanding your body and body awareness and, you know, understanding how to fight, it's like you become calmer, like you become more peaceful with the people around you with life and you become like this oneness thing almost. It is a path to Zen. It is a path to that Nirvana. Yoga is a physical practice to get you to, you know, that place of spiritual, you know, perfection and always living in the moment with the great, you know, whatever animates us, right? Mm -hmm. Yoga was taken to China, became Shaolin Kung Fu, what we know of now today. And that was taken to Japan to become Judo and Jiu Jitsu was then taken to Brazil to mix with, you know, Western wrestling and boxing and figure out a way to, you know what I mean? For, 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 so it, okay. It's just the same passing of the same thing. And each culture and group is going to add their little flavors and their little flares to it. But, you know, ultimately, anybody that masters that, they master the inside. You know, it's, right. You have to master the outside because we're in these physical bodies. But it's ultimately to master that inside. At least. Right. It's like it goes. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it does. It goes back to the idea of like your internal world or your outer world is a reflection of your inner world kind of thing. You know, if you want to be like in this physical flowy state of being able to move your body in these dynamic and effective ways. I mean, your inner body, I mean, your, the soul needs to be kind of sorted out and you need to figure out these things of, you know, either why you get frustrated about this or that, or, you know, you felt this emotion here and there. And so if you're not able to kind of deal with those, then you're gonna, you know, your ego almost kind of takes over and then it kind of, you know, it, it becomes muddied. You realize where you're losing that Zen or how you're able to gain it back quicker. And so I find it just fascinating that Japan, um, and I think you were about to say something else because I cut you off whenever you were talking about how Japan just wanted to kind of go and spread this influence of Zen throughout, you know, the world. Yeah. I mean, and I can't speak for the whole nation, but, but, but as a group, those who had achieved that level of mastery in that place, um, I mean, I can only assume or, or, you know, hypothesize that, you know, it, again, it's a closed environment, you know, it's mostly cold except for Okinawa, which tends to be a little normal unless the bottom south tip. Um, and, you know, how do we keep this alive in a place that at that point was breaking it down and making it more and more legal to be that, right? You have to take it to people. You have to take it farther out. You have to give it to more people and let them make the choice. Right. Are you saying it and was more legal in Japan? It was. So there was something called the Meiji Restoration where Japan industrialized yeah. come, uh, at the same time period as the West, right? When we were making guns. Okay. They were making guns. When we were making cars. They were making cars. I mean, it was hand in hand. Same, same with China. Right. Um, but this is the Japanese you know, explanation. And when they did that, they were trying to get rid of the samurai class. That was the whole point of it. You know that, that movie with Tom Cruise oh. where, you know, the white guy is the last samurai? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I've seen pieces yeah, of it. I think yeah. it's called The Last Samurai. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Um, and, uh, but basically, I mean, that movie was about the end of the samurai culture in Japan as as it was, you know, and as we know it, okay. and as we look at it. And, you know, when the new modern industrialization machine came out and they consolidated all the power, you know, they've been doing that for a few hundred years, and now the one government took care of everything and Japan was now going to be modern. So by doing that, they outlawed the samurai culture. They then split up and they became Yakuza. 
Spain, that's, that, that, that is one branch of the old samurai lineages. It's the Yakuza, or they call them Kiretsu. They turned into the modern corporations. One or the other, they both have power in different ways, right? All um, right. But all of that to say that the samurai traditions of passing on and living that kind of martial arts to the Zen and spiritual lifestyle, that was outlawed. And so those who have oh. been given that gift and passed down through those family lineages could not advertise it. They could not, oh. you, know, you know, like you said in the beginning when I was talking, it's only who you knew. So if you knew, you know, Mr. Kano, right. Sensei Kano, you could learn judo and jujitsu and literally learn all this stuff that had been passed on for hundreds of years, samurai culture, because he knew it all, right? Not just that, he just perfected right. that to give to others. This is the, so what, you know, this is what I give you, so. Yeah, so what was the idea, though, been behind, was this a, in my thought is, is my conspiracy that hat being put on is, yeah. my thought is this is a play of government in order to control um, people. Is that essentially why they got rid of these martial arts? <laughs> You're giving me that look like. Come on, yeah, of yeah. course it is. I mean, well, <laughs> A government's job, a government is a corporation, whether it's an autocracy, a democracy, a republic, a communism, their only job is to control people because their only income is the control of people. So my answer right. is yes to that every time. Okay. So then essentially what we have here is that the government needed to find a way to, because they're never satisfied with the amount of power they have. They always want to have a little bit more. It's always a little bit more power. And so what it sounds like happened. Too. I mean, people that have that kind of thing. They're kind of dangerous to what you're trying to create because they can stand up to you. Well, so then this is interesting, right? Because if, if the samurais and let's say the ninjas, you know, they have all of the skills that are necessary. How do the people at the top convince them that they need to stop doing what they're doing? Like, how does that, do you, do you know? Yeah. So it, it wasn't that they convinced them. They had to fight them down and kill most of them off um, or co-op those remaining um, who weren't willing to die for it. Right. Um, but if they were, but I, okay, so here's where I'm confused because if they were the fighters, mm -hmm. how were they able to kind of kill them if they were the fighters of? So eventually money and industrialization created globalization, created money and, and money had always been around, but now money was accessible to everyone, not just the samurai. So all of a sudden you have peasants okay. and he, still, he starts buying up everybody's farm. All of a sudden he's a baller. He's got enough money to hire a bunch of people to protect his farm. Mm -hmm. So you get more and more of these people, you know, you get more, more of that wealth share. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, these guys, you know, they, they're used to being able to walk around, and cut our heads off, literally, if they want to, to, to see how sharp their swords are or take your wife away right. and make you know, your concubine. That sucks. I don't want that. And mm -hmm. I can't fight them. I'm not trained that way. Mm -hmm. I haven't lived my whole life doing that. So eventually they all get together. They start talking kind of like, you know, that version of Facebook, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, and mm -hmm. then that's kind of how it was. It was basically it turned out into, you know, those with power, the ruling class, those with money, the samurai. Mm -hmm. versus yeah. the, the people had finally gotten enough power, consolidated, communicated enough, like any revolution to be like, no more. Right. We now have guns. So that negates the majority right. of your swords and stuff. Uh, so that's how it was. And there was wow. just more of them than the other. Which is, which is so crazy to me, right? Because, and I guess I can't really speak to saying for sure, but I'm heavily positive, right? How, you know, if you're on the samurai side of this, right, you're, you're never going to just go out and just kill people randomly, right? Because if you've mastered your body and you've mastered the idea of Zen in theory, right? In theory, if you've mastered the art of Zen, you, there's no like need for you to just kind of go, uh, maybe you should ask this. Are they just going out and just killing people at random? Is that a part of 
what was happening? Yeah, unfortunately. So, there, you know, there's always two sides to all stories. Sure. The apex, uh, the, the, the best you could be at that would, would be to be what we're talking about. And those were the, those were the people who eventually spread it, it, it you know, uh, okay. the world, but the top of the top, the top of the top or, or, or the calm of the calm or the best who had the most calm. But as you know, give any, take a group of people, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the, what we call the mob mentality. There's going, the majority yeah. of them are, uh, you know, unfortunately they're going to get together. They're going to thump their chest and they're going to beat up the small one. And, right. And, you know, once you then understand and I mean, any group gets, yeah, any group gets so big, there's going to be bad apples as, as, even there. 100%. And then you just, that gets amplified. Yes. And, and, you know, the samurai's job was to kill. They were right. I mean, literally with source. And I don't know how it ever got to that point, but they, they could do that. There's historical data and evidence that that was done on the regular at certain points in certain places. Now, all the time, everywhere? No, absolutely not. But yeah, unfortunately, sure. their atrocities always, you know, when people can kill. Enough bad apples. Yeah. yeah. Enough bad apples, you know, decided to just start killing. And that encouraged, let's say, the people who didn't have the ability to fend for themselves to be afraid of them and therefore they needed to flip the regime essentially exactly. flip the uh nature of what they have except french revolution spartacus i mean you know same thing you push it to the breaking point and it worked out for them there so and so then that i guess encouraged the people that were at the top of the martial arts hierarchy in japan to say okay this is dying here you guys need to go find a new country and spread this to them yeah. is that and and so one of those i guess leaves of that happening was mieda going down to brazil um and so i guess we have that are there other popular examples that you're aware of where that has happened I, i'm gonna forget the names but um i know it's a challenging question yeah so, <laughs> so. the same thing happened uh going to france france produces some of the world's best you know players. I mean, it's just okay. amazing. I forget the guy that went there, but he went there specifically to do that. He's like, look at these big white people that love this. They're going to be amazing. And it's just, yeah. it, it flourished there because it was, it was a perfect blend of, Hey, this fits into the cultural, the way, you know, the, the culture thinks it, it, it speaks to the physicality of the population and what people like to do. So there was that one. Um, and you know, it spread to a lot of different places. What happened in Brazil, I think, was more rare because um, mm -hmm. Mieda went down there with that intention. But something about the Gracie family, something about that original group of people that learned it, saw something more, saw something in the future. It wasn't like this is cool and it's just going to happen. There, there was vision there. There was obsession there. And again, you know, if you look at a lot of the, you know, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically, you can see a lot of Western wrestling, traditional Western wrestling woven in at specific parts. Um, the Japanese jujitsu is to finish. There is no rolling around. Oh, that's good. Try this. No, it's, I, I need to kill you because I got 13 other people coming up on me. That's where it ends. Right. That's, it, that's why it's not a big sport in Japan because it's deadly. It's a, uh, okay. Survival art. Whereas they were like, God, look at all these cool things we can do. It'd be great just to get better. Just, you know, keep doing it. Keep making flows at it. Make it come, make it fun, mm -hmm. make it so that, you know, she can do it and my kids can do it and they can do it. And they, that's why it's so unique and it's so unique in the world. They, they, they have this vision of something so much greater and it, and it became that. It's like, there's so many different ways to do one thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what's, and what's really interesting to me, right. And maybe this is just the level of, you know, my upbringing of ignorance or, you know, me not being exposed to it. Right. Like, you know, in America, I feel like the big thing is like wrestling, right. Or WWE, like you have wrestling in, in uh, high school and whatnot, but uh, I guess like a part of me doesn't view it as a martial art. Like, is it, is it fair to call wrestling a martial art or no? It's fair to call Greco Roman wrestling a martial art because originally when that was practiced by the Greeks and the Romans and, you know, peoples around the surrounding Mediterranean actually it goes back even farther than that, but we'll get to that later. It was, <laughs> it was training for when they donned their armor and they went out and they fought each other for land or whatever they fought each other for. Um, same with boxing. Right? It was very specific and boxing is big too. Fists were down here for a lot of reasons. One of which you got a shit ton of armor. And so all of a sudden you find yourself bladeless and shieldless and people are coming at you. You got to be able to strike with that really unwieldy right. that was set up for you to hold spears, shields and swords. Right. So it was all created as a martial art. And then as you know, Europe unified under the Romans harsh rule, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, it became more like what just military people practiced. And then everywhere else, it became more like, oh, let's make sport. Let's make more complicated. Gotcha. Right. Did I answer the question? I think I went off on a tangent on that. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like you got it right. Okay. So the question was, is, is wrestling a martial art? Maybe a better question is, is like what identifies a martial art? Like, is it, is it with the intent to kill? Is that kind of like the, because I know with wrestling, there's not really any submissions. It's just pin them on the ground in certain positions long enough. And it's not like if you wrestle somebody, they're never going to be able to submit you really. Cause they're never taught submissions. It's right. just how to get to a dominant position. Right. Um, well, First of all, I do know, and I've, I've, I've kind of, it's kind of been a, like a, a study of mine. Like I do know in Turkey and Romania, they still teach Greco-Roman wrestling like they did to the Roman soldiers, or at least that's what they say. And when you watch some of that stuff and it's rare that you can find anything on it, it's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I never, I never saw a finish. I've never seen a finish in it, you know, in you know, like high school wrestling, not like that. Like, wow, You're right. That's intense. Okay. I get it. Okay. So yeah. All right. Um, but then in like to speak to a martial art, I don't know. You got to look at both of those words. Why are you learning it? Are you learning it for martial purposes or for artistic purposes? Why do most people learn Aikido? Probably not to go kick ass and take names, probably more to be self-confident and to be artistic and more flowy. Right. Um, I could be wrong. I, I've never really done much with Aikido. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> I, Versus like judo or jujitsu, where you have to, to rank, to improve, to, you know, move up the chain, you have to go interact with people and test your skills. Right. Right. That would be more martial, I would assume. And then eventually it becomes art. I think it's a blend. Um, I know like what I practice now and, you know, with the Filipino martial arts and stuff, and I'm probably getting ahead and we can go back to it later, but they don't even call no, it go ahead, keep art. going. They just call it survival art because it's, it's taught only to survive. So you don't practice the end results. You can do flows, you know, but you can never okay. do the finish because there's always a blade or something. Right. Head, right? You got to stop at some point, right? Yeah. If it's not to finish. Right. And so let's, let's jump off on that tangent because I think I remember you and correct me if I'm wrong. This was the martial art where I believe in the Philippines that they actually still use this to today to, to settle land disputes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Are you able to go into a little bit more detail than, than that? Like, yeah. it, cause it sounded pretty brutal whenever you were talking about it. Yeah. No, it's, um, it, it's getting more traction in the West. You can find a lot about it on YouTube and stuff. Um, Kali is what they call it in the Philippines. And it's a kind of a, an overarching word for martial arts practice, you know, in Southeast Asia and delving deeper into it. First of all, I didn't realize it, but it's thousands of years old. This isn't a new iteration by any means, starting with um, the, the, the Indian empires who conquered all those areas, the Chinese, the Japanese, uh, Spanish really made them have to use it well. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's still used to settle land disputes in the country, you know, two men, two blades, or how many, however many blades, depending on their art, and, you know, what they're comfortable with and whoever's left standing or, you know, who's wounded too much to fight, you know, that there's a winner and a loser and then person keeps their land or not. I mean, it's literally done like that. And yes, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it will, and it, yeah. And I think it's so fascinating because we live in such, and I'm going to just speak for at least American perspective. It's like, we live in such a, uh, I don't want to say sheltered, but in such a reality where it's like, you know, this stuff doesn't really happen. Like, it's like, what do you mean people fight, like kill each other over land? It's like, that still happens today. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, to me, it's like so bizarre. It's like, you know, I, I don't know if it's a symptom of the fact that Americans and as American, we're so far ahead, like, but I don't even know what to mean. I mean by so far ahead. It, it feels like we're, it's like lawyers almost, it's like lawyers versus the, the fighting. I don't really know how to, how to describe that. It's almost like we were, we, we turned to the law, the books on the law, as opposed to just like, you know, let's say, oh, I'm getting some bad, uh, thunderstorms here. You're going to hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, maybe we'll roll with it. Yeah, roll with it, man. I uh, like it. Um, and so add some more emphasis to the voice. Um, yeah, yeah but, but I just find it so fascinating how like in American society I'm speaking for, we kind of just talk to, or we kind of just like, we kind of rely just on the law to take care of things for us mm -hmm. almost, as opposed to just taking our life in our own hands. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good analogy for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about it too. Like in America and at first it happened. You have a bunch of Westerners and Western Europeans coming over here. They all basically live under the same types of rule, rulership, have the same expectations from culture and governance. So they can all have, they have a, a common register and language they can speak, whether it's financial, you know, actual language, whatever it is, and the same expectations. They come here and they have to exterminate the majority of the population. So that was done. And, you know, they did a, an amazingly horrible job of doing it, but they, they did it. Uh, to, to, you know, 90 percentile. Um, and um, then who's left, right? Who's left is the common culture, that common Western European culture, the common values, the common rules that govern those cultures. So then there's sure. no more need for that because it doesn't actually, it, it has no meaning under that cultural and governmental and value system that everybody shares to some degree or another. So no longer is it acceptable to fight and kill each other for it, right? Once that right. original atrocity is done. In the Philippines, it's different, right? In many countries, it's different. There's not that strong of a rule of governance. However, all those people still live under the same relatively similar traditional culture, uh, uh, precepts, 
rules of, of intertribal governance, rules of communication, expectation for those rules and those outcomes. So it makes total sense that a government so far away with, you know, almost no power in your area is not going to help you with the land dispute. They don't even who knows right. if it's even registered in Manila. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, they use the old way. Um, and that old way is used in a lot of different places. I mean, in Sicily, they use shotguns. Uh, I know that from family stuff. I, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. To, to settle to settle land disputes. They still use that. Use it, you know, in, in the sticks in Italy, it's it's still like that. Um, really? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I can know, say that yeah. because of my background and everything, and I know, and I hear things still. I'm like, oh crap, really? Okay. Sit <laughs> um, down. So there, they just use blades because. There's a whole system of honor, and maybe they don't have access to guns, although I doubt that. But uh, you know, there, there's a whole thing. It's the honor thing, right? It comes back to the culture and what your culture stands for and kind of how that kind of finds its way throughout, you know, the um, the um throughout the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this was, first of all, this was a crazy rabbit hole gun. <laughs> martial arts. Hey, man. <laughs> who, knew a, who knew a chiropractor could be uh, so knowledgeable about it? Right. Um, but here's so let's uh let's circle back then to the chiropractic work because um, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, sleeping mm -hmm. something we do eight hours a day, mm -hmm. arguably a third of our entire life we're asleep for. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know what you know, and then there's days you wake up, it's like oh I slept on my neck wrong, I slept wrong, I did this wrong, and then it like will wear on you for the next couple of days. Right. So it's in all of our best interests per se to be sleeping optimally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought about this as an engineering approach. I thought, okay, what all contributes to sleeping? And I figure, I figure it comes down to, and we're just basically speaking from a skeleton point of view, right? Mm -hmm. um, it would be the firmness, let's say of the mattress or the, whatever you're sleeping on. It would be, if you're using a pillow, and then if you're sleeping on your stomach, back or side, I feel like those would be like the three things that would be in, um, contribute to your sleeping position. Yes. So as a chiropractor, um, what are you here? What would you say your recommendations are for those three things? All right. So let me just say this first. So a, 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 you're right. You know, we spend about a third of our life sleeping or we should sleep uh, is for the healing, right? know that we've talked mm -hmm. about it if you don't sleep you're not healing if you're not healing you're never going to catch up with all the injuries you're consistently doing with your body and it will eventually fail so sleep is mm -hmm. absolutely important and then the nature of sleep how deep is that sleep because you need to be in deep beta delta levels of REM sleep in order to gain those those you know really deep healing um, cycles uh, and effects so in order to get that, there, there are some optimal positions, although I will add a caveat on, at, at the end. So firstly, mattresses, right? Everybody's a little bit different. Size, density, training, age, gender, you name it, right? So many different factors. So a medium to, to higher firm mattress is usually going to be the better one. Um, if someone has some severe disease, various autoimmune arthropathies, uh, swelling, inflammatory diseases, stuff like that, then a softer mattress can be better because there's less pressure per square, you know, whatever amount of space, inch or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But usually medium to more firm mattresses are better because they give support and support is necessary. Um, 
And then in terms of a pillow, it doesn't matter what pillow you use. You just got to support your neck. It's not about supporting your head. You have to support the neck because if you're supporting your head, your neck is going to be bent into whatever, you know, wherever the gravity is going. Right. And that's going to mm-hmm. jack your neck up overnight. So it's always about the right. for the neck. Um, let's see there. Yes. The, the, the pillow Oh, in position. Um, optimal positions are always on your back or your sides. That way you can maintain the curvature in your neck if you're on your back. And even on the side, you're not putting any undue forward or backwards anterior, posterior um, strain on the neck, right? So as long as you keep it at that right, you know, height, you know, depending on your shoulder, you know, that's going to be good. Um, so back or side is the best way. And if you're on your side, you want to make sure the pillow is mostly under your neck and you want to make sure it's about as wide as your shoulder. So your neck can okay. maintain that straightness with the rest of the spine, right? Right. Now, all that being said, your body, once you fall asleep, once you lose that consciousness, it's going to put you in whatever position it wants you in. And whatever position (laughs) it puts you in is the position that takes the most pressure off the central nervous system. So if you're sleeping on your stomach and you're all twisted because of the injuries and your how you move and your your functional movement patterns that, that you've accrued in your life up to that point, that actually is probably the best way to sleep for your nervous system doesn't mean you're going to feel good in the morning. Doesn't mean your neck isn't jacked. So, you know, in order to change that, you got to work on the alignment and chiropractic, whatever stretching and everything else people do. Um, and then it can start to change, but always remember for everybody out there, whoever watches this, your body puts you in whatever it needs you to be in when you're unconscious, you don't have a say. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no control over that. Yeah, there's no control over that, but it, it always does behoove you to, you know, use the best mattress. Um, organic is great. You want organic because things made out of plastic and made cheaply that they have formaldehyde in it. They have uh, glyceraldehydes. They have benzene rings that leak overnight, basically a bunch of cancer carcinogen causing materials that will basically aerosolize and then you breathe it in. And over time, that's bad. Okay. Um, you want it medium to firm, right? Somewhere in there based medium on your firm. comfort. And if you can sleep on your back or your side, that's how you always want to at least start. You know, we'll see where you end up. (laughs) (laughs) Can't control the morning. Can't control that and make sure the neck is supported. Those are the three best things you can do. So then here's a big question that I, for my personal interest, I started sleeping without a pillow just because I felt like it was, I don't know, maybe better. I remember you showing me like the curvature of the neck Mm -hmm. and kind of how it's supposed to be curved. Mm -hmm. And I guess I somehow thought that maybe like if I didn't have it, I could naturally like put my neck there. Mm -hmm. Is it? I mean, I hate to use the term better or worse, but, um, you know, is it more or less, ide- does it matter? Is it more or less ideal if I still use a pillow and try to get it more like to my shoulder or to my trap? Uh, well, let me ask you this. You waking up comfortable. You feel rested. Yeah. Is your neck hurt? Uh, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> that's for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know what I would recommend for you is, um, just one of those, I don't think I have one in here. Um, you know, those little, like they call them cervical pillows. They look like a little roll, but you know, you don't want the kind that's stiff. It's, um, in Korea, they fill them with like uh, the seeds of uh, wheat or wheat chaff or whatever, but it's, it's not allergenic. It's not that, but it's like that. They they fill it with something like that. So it's moldable. Um, it's small. You can throw it in your backpack and, uh, I mean, I always travel with either that or a towel, or I at least roll up a shirt for under my neck. Um, 
I think it's better for that support knowing you and <laughs> taking, you know, yeah. working with you and everything for you. I would definitely Sarah have, yeah. So again, you know, roll up a towel or something, have something a little supportive under the neck. Right. Pit towel. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. And you know, I like that idea. I, 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 that's easy. Especially if you don't need a big pill and you don't, you know, if you don't want it, you don't like it. It's not comfortable. You absolutely don't need it. Well, I mean, I guess just my opinion is it's not really, I mean, I guess I'm comfortable either way. It's more of just getting my neck into that optimal alignment such that, you know, it's healing appropriately. It's able to like kind of do all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll look into the cervical pillow and like kind of roll up a towel to, to kind of get underneath there. Yeah, if you need to just uh, to hit me up and I'll send you a link to the one that, that I use. And another chiropractor okay. makes it, a friend of mine. I, I don't know where he is in the world right now. Chiro a chiropractor official? official yes, yeah, it's, it's an official. It's a chiropractor official, but it's just, it's, it's one you don't have to order from, from, uh, from Korea. It's made here in the United States. Yeah. I also, um, I also found it really fascinating. You were talking about and this might be a little, uh, I guess, gross for people, but you know, uh, Alyssa, this is your warning. Um, I remember you were telling me about how it was, it's related to bowel movements and you're saying how like sometimes people come in and see you and get like their back cracked and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's the only time they go home. It's the only time they actually have like a decent bowel movement is after you go in and like readjust, mm -hmm. you know, people, mm -hmm. um, and I guess this is kind of a weird way to kind of go off, but I just, this also flashed in my head okay. is I remember seeing, uh, like you see videos and this is what really, I was like, okay, this is bullshit. Like this is all fake. Um, <laughs> was you would see like, like either like old grandmas or something like be waddling up to kind of like a, a table, like in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of like downtown somewhere mm -hmm. and a guy would like be a chiropractor and he would do all this work mm -hmm. and then she would get off the table and she'd be walking fine. Like nothing, like, like she was like in the best shape of her life. And right. you see another old person like limp over to the table and then he like works them off and then they get up and it's just like, they're 20 years old again. Right. Um, you know, I guess in your experience, A, have you seen those videos and B, or is that like legit? Like, is that legitimately how therapeutic it is? Uh, no. I mean, in my experience, no. I've never adjusted someone who is, you know, 80 plus and they have gotten up and been, you know, skipping around like they're in their 20s. Have people, you know, stood up straighter? Yes. Have they been able to breathe better? Yes. Have they gone and taken a big poop and gotten rid of a bunch of toxins? Absolutely. Um, getting rid of headaches. Sure. I mean, so many things. Yes. But that kind of drama. Yeah. No, I, I think maybe it, it might happen once or twice in, in a year over billions of adjustments throughout the world. Maybe. I mean, I, okay. I totally allow the possibility. I've never seen it. Um, and from what I know, how the human body works, physiology, all that stuff, adaptation cycles. I, I highly highly doubt it. And, you know, let's be honest, every field on the planet of, for every career, you know, there's, there's those that are a little more honest. Those are like the hype. So, you know, right. maybe, Hey, Hey grandma, you know, I know you just ran that marathon, but can you come over here and just kind of shuffle over and I'll just you and then <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll yeah. spray it home. So, I mean, I'm not going to say no, it's impossible. It, it, maybe that was a hundred percent true, but I mean, I haven't experienced that. Have I experienced great things? Yes. Uh, but most of the time it takes, if someone's going to get that much better, it takes a little bit of time and effort and takes a couple months. Exactly. Yeah. It takes, a couple months. takes a couple months to be able to pull it off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what, so I guess then what, like what 
maybe like how I don't want to phrase it as a, maybe it is a miracle. What would be like kind of the closest thing to like a miracle or like, what are the craziest kind of things you've seen personally where you've adjusted somebody? And, you know, I don't know if, you know, they just sit upright or if like, they're just hunched over like crazy and it fixes their posture. Because I mean, you know, these things all like counteract. So, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of hard to say like, you know, one adjustment can do so much. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I get what you're saying. I mean, some of the, so the best things I've seen, some of the miracles I've seen are just, it seems super simple, but imagine not pooping for weeks. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I've never been a constipated kind of person. Sorry for everybody out there. It's just not me. I go the other way if it goes to that. Right. But, uh, yeah. but I couldn't imagine not being able to release all those toxins because that's all toxic waste. Literally your toxic right. waste, your body has gleaned everything it needs out of it and the rest it can't use. It needs gone, but it sits in there. Right. And I mean, this is a major cause of, you know, a lot of bowel cancer. Right. Um, and some of the best things I've seen is a you know big adjustment down in that sacrum, pelvis, L five, all the way up to L one, and the person, oh my god, I, I feel so. And then they're like, oh, and they run over to the bathroom, and I, you know, <laughs> an hour later they're leaving the office. Like, wow, I, I haven't pooped for you know a couple <laughs> weeks. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Wow, um, I've had. Um, let's see, I can't say that one because then I'll get it medics all over my ass. So I don't want to say that one. So I'll say a different one. Um, <laughs> headaches, headaches. Somebody comes in chronic migraines, just chronic, like 10 years worth of just horrible migraines. They expect it on from Friday to Sunday and they have to lay in a dark room with a towel over their head. Their marriage is going to hell. They, their work sucks. They can't spend time with their kids. This is a case come in and you know, they're going through a horrible migraine right then do a little icing, get them down, get those, you know, really great adjustments specific at the atlas and then down through that cervical spine, let them rest. And they, t 10 minutes later, they come out of the room. Like I don't have a headache. I don't remember when I, when I haven't had a headache, I can't remember it. Uh, right. It's just like, Oh my it's God. Like four. Yeah. And obviously you still got to work at it to maintain that progress. Right. And allow it to become part of the new pattern, um, the positive pattern, but it's mostly things like that. Um, sprained ankles, right. people, you know, can't put any pressure on the ankle or knees. <laughs> like, like my story. Um, right. boom, get that ankle back in and just see one, get the knee back in and just see one in the pelvis. And then all of a sudden they literally walk out of the office, which is, I mean, I, I love that stuff. You know, I, I, right. I love watching people heal and smile. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. people smile about just, you know, internally in, in the world right now, it's a crazy place. Um, and I like, you know, I like to see people do that because then they take it out there and they pass it on. Yeah, it's it's that ripple effect, right? Mm. It's um, you know, once you, it's kind of like healing, like physically or even uh, spiritually, I guess. Like you, you start healing, you start to see that ripple effect in your life of everyone else around you starts like feeling that and like vibing off of it. I mean, you mm -hmm. lose some people, maybe you lose some people across the way who aren't ready for it, yeah. but you know they're there's enough people that start like feeling it and seeing it, that it like just starts like breeding off onto them. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it kind of touches. Yeah. And, and you can't change everyone with everything all the time. Right. It's just, right. you know, got to be in the right place to be receptive to it. But eventually if you're, if you're negative and you're surrounded by positivity, you will eventually become positive. And the reverse situation yeah. is true. Right. So, yeah. And, uh, just do our I work. mean, that's the whole, like, you're the, you're the accumulation of the five people you spend the most time with, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it's, it, it's so, 
I don't know, like something about that just seems so wild to me. Like there's a level of like you're in control, but you're not in control kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you get to pick the five people around you, but at the same time, it's like, well, like there's that kind of corollary or that back and forth of, um, you know, how much control do you really have over <laughs> who you are? You know, mm-hmm. well, that's huge. I mean, you have to understand what allows you to have the control in order to get the control. You don't just control something because you want to, you need to, yeah. you need to cultivate the skills like with anything like martial arts, chiropractic, right. I don't know, accounting, well being, doing law, whatever it is. I mean, it's a whole, you, you start opening up like the rabbit hole of things that are occurring, right? You just start kind of progressing down it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one thing that you're so a story I've brought up now on two different podcasts would have been on uh, episode two. I brought it up mm-hmm. and then on the la- episode six, I brought up as well was the story um, about blueberries and healing my acne. Mm. Uh, and I brought it to you. Yeah. Uh, I, I brought the story up and for those who haven't heard those um, ones, I, you know, was at some point in my spiritual journey where um, I was introduced to the shocker system and I'm sure we've all heard it at some level, but I started to play around with it in terms of food. Like, you know, red fruit would be at your root, sacral, orange, orange fruit or orange food would be at your sacral, um, then yellow, green, blue, purple, and white all the way up mm-hmm. your throat being your blue chakra, your throat chakra represented by the color blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having acne along the side of my neck and I basically was like, let's see how true that this, you know, whole thing is. I decided to add some blueberries to my diet. And I think over the course of like two or three days, I probably ate a couple hundred blueberries. Mm -hmm. Like it was something, it was something obnoxious. And, you know, lo and behold, my acne started to clear up and I thought it was absolutely insane. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how the hell is this like happening? Mm -hmm. And um, I remember bringing it to you and you kind of just sat there and smiled and you're just like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it works. Like, yeah. like it was something you've already kind of like seen and been through in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, all these, what do they call them? Uh, traditional cures and stuff, you know, that now in our society, we, we consider like, oh, that's the weird stuff. Well, if it's weird, why has it been around since literally cavemen have been painting in caves? Why was that always right. the go-to, but all of a sudden it's, you know, you can't use blueberries. you got to take 18 cycles of doxycycline and make sure, you know, I mean, okay, you could do all that. Right. And it'll probably get rid of it, uh, how good it is for the rest of your organs and tissues. I don't know. It's, you know we'll see you later. But blueberries... Well, shit, you know, <laughs> if it doesn't work, at least you got a bunch of blueberry nutrients in it. Right? And, right. you know, most of these conditions are a deficiency. It's either one of two things. You have too much or too little of something. That's it. All diseases are broken down into that. I don't care what it is. Pick one, you have too much or too little. And, you know, a lot of times, especially with acne, it's, it can be associated with the, or it can be, not all the time. Everybody out there, calm down. <laughs> it can be associated with the gland. Cover your bases. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Blueberries. Um, it can be associated with the gland that's also associated with the chakra because all chakras are associated with the gland. That gland is going to be the thyroid. Thyroid needs a very specific mineral. One of those minerals is found in blueberries, dark skin fruits. Maybe you were deficient right. in that. 
So I mean, right. and a lot of different reasons for it, but it, it works. And and the way I kind of like, let's say my lo- like my logic brain comes in, right? This happens at a, um, this occurred at a, let's say, intuitional level. But my scientist who I've been trained to, my scientist brain that I've been training for, you know, what would it be my entire life, right? That's what we're training through high school. That's what we train through college. Um, It starts trying to come in here and it's like, okay, well, what the hell is happening? And the way I've kind of broken it down, right, is, you know, the the color spectrum is, let's say this, the light spectrum, the colors that we can see on the light spectrum you know, is just a sliver, right? It's like, if you look at the light spectrum, it's smaller than the edge of a coin. And so, and so what I kind of like have rationalized, let's say, is, well, we can see the color red, we can see the color orange, yellow, blue, violet or indigo. I don't think it's exactly purple, but regardless, it's like, those are really only colors you can kind of see for the most part, you know, anything in between all of those. And I guess you can add black, but that's kind of just the absent of light Mm -hmm. and then white, which is, you know, um, and so the way I've broken it down is like shit, like, you know, why would we have evolved in such a way that we can only see those colors? Like why are only those colors beneficial to us? And I think what's been documented and correct me if I'm wrong is that it was linked to fruit and being able to see if it's ripe and being able to see if it's like ready to eat. And so therefore, you know, it stands without reason that, you know, fruits and even vegetables, it's like, well, those are really the only colors that they are. And if, you know, there are no fruits, I guess, in existence, or we don't really have any that are outside of that color spectrum. And I guess if there were, we wouldn't be able to see them because we wouldn't need to use them. Right. Yeah, no. And so I guess, yeah. I, I think you're you're spot on with that. And adaptation, or or let's talk about evolution. Um, over time, you know, you've got tons of different. Well, it used to be on this planet there were tons of different species sharing you know, little areas, um, and therefore mm-hmm. you needed a niche. You needed to eat something that not everybody else was eating, especially if you were a human mm-hmm. who were you know physically relatively weak um, compared to all other life forms on the planet. And, um, you know, we also had to eat a lot of stuff that couldn't eat us because, you know, aside from a lot of popular beliefs, we're, we're not these master hunters. Helicopters and long range weapons, and missiles, that makes us master hunters, but we were not always master <laughs> hunters, right? So we had to, most of, most of it was foraging, right? Hunter gathers, mm-hmm. most of it was gathering. Hunters came back sometimes with food, a lot of times with dead animals that were already dead or people. Um, or Neanderthals or whatever was available. And um, the rest of it was gathering. That was the majority of our diet. And all species have a a limited amount of energy that can be put to different types of functional reserves, vision being one of them, smell, hearing, all the other stuff. And over the course of evolutionary time, it starts to pare down, right? There's a a finite amount of energy. So where are you going to put it to? Ah, humans can eat most of the stuff in that color spectrum. They don't need infrared because right. we're not eating things based on that. We're eating things based on the nutrients uh, bioavailable at the, you know, at the skin level, at the surface level, which tells us more about what's inside. It's intuitive, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're totally right about that. It's, it's mostly things that grow out of the ground because those are the things that have most of the colors. Otherwise, animals and tend I- to be crypto. They are camouflaged in whatever areas they live in. That's not a color scheme. That's a pattern. That's a whole different thing. 
Yeah, and there's a whole uh, there's a whole document, or I guess like a animal show because it's a documentary, mm-hmm. nature documentary on Netflix called Life in Color, and it's all about how you know other animals, specifically like insects, birds. I mean, I guess all of them really, uh, tigers, um, deer, how they've evolved. You know seeing different colors like they don't or not even seeing colors but seeing different forms of the light spectrum and how that helps them with predators like they would show like a extremely i don't want to call it ugly but a a a butterfly that you know didn't appear to have a lot of color on it Mm -hmm. but then when you view it underneath a uv light Mm -hmm. it's like this most beautiful like radiant like thing and it's like well, like, why does it matter to us kind of thing that it looks that way? It's like, well, it doesn't matter to you because it wasn't, didn't evolve for you mm-hmm. to like appreciate its beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like the same thing is true with like lions. It's like, you know, if you, you know, it's like we can see lions like a mile away, almost like the, the yellow and the black. Right. And so it's like, you know, in, we could stand a reason like why are deer so stupid to not see that line so far away. But in reality, deer are, I guess it would be red, green, colorblind, or they're one of the colorblinds, mm-hmm. green, blue, what, oh, it's some, which one, but yeah. yeah, one of the colorblinds where orange and green isn't very easily seen. So the stripes on the lion actually looks like blades of grass kind of like shaking back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, to the, to the deer, the gazelle, it's not, you know, which is crazy, right? It's like, you know, if they were evolving, they should have evolved better eyesight, you know, in order to see these, these tigers, like kind of approaching them, you know, on the savannah. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, but, but also, you know, because, because we're humans, we tend to think in the things that we understand. Right. But in terms of smell, mm-hmm. um, so they're light years ahead of us in smell and not only in smell, sure. but their reaction time, the reaction time, uh, their, what is it called? The motor, uh, I forget the official thing. Basically, the time between the sensing of a threat and the movement away from the threat, there's a specific word for that. In them, basically, it's like we are a thousand times slower. They also, really? in one bound, can leap 30 feet. We, in one bound, can leap, maybe, if we're really prepped for it, five feet. All right. <laughs> Not going to do All much right. when each stride of a lion is about 10. And right. when they're fully charging. So you know, they're going to rely on different things. They're going to rely on smell. They're going to rely on hearing. And they're going to be very secure in the fact that, oh, look at that fat lion. Come on. Yeah, I'm just going to keep eating until you get, like, within two feet. And then I'm going to jump. And you will never get anywhere, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's all those different adaptations. I don't know how we got into that one. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we, were talking, we were talking about the color spectrum. Color spectrum. <laughs> yes, their color spectrum yeah. goes to a yeah. whole different level. And they're, you know, like sharks and everything else. Like, a lot of animals see in, in, in electric color fields, uh, uh, not magnetic. Uh, the word's failing me right now. Um, but, you know, they literally see electricity or they see different types okay. of infrared or they, it's, you can smell, uh, how do they put it? You can smell electric currents in different frequencies of electric currents. So you don't have to use the eyes for the same thing. It's really fascinating. You can use pretty much any sensory organ and tune it to whatever you need, which is the really interesting thing about evolution in life. Speaking to that right. as a scientist geek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but there's like truth to that too. Like that there's, you know, these electric 
let's say fields all around us. One, you know, you could argue like your phone or the television or internet or Wi-Fi, like those are electric currents or for sure. Mm. But there has to be an electric and maybe we're going to start losing people here, but there's <laughs> got to be like an electric. <laughs> I, I don't know though. At this point I've, I've kind of gone down these spiritual rabbit holes far enough that people should be ready for anything. Right, um, um, you know, because, you know, take natural disasters, for instance, they, you can predict them by, you know, the animals that you have, like if animals start freaking yeah. out, if animals start trying to get to higher ground, it's like day, a day or two before that these things occur that they like already know, like, Hey, something's about to happen. We need to get the fuck out of here. Like shit's about to go down. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, they're tuned to that. Obviously through that species and through the millennium and hundreds of thousands, millions of years they've been around they come to know that earthquakes are probably bad. It creates this kind of environment where my predators can then take precedence and I'm going to have a harder time surviving. So let's get the hell out of here. Right. So you're going to be right. finally, finally tuned to that. What is it? What is it with humans? Storms. We are notoriously, again, not to be mean to ourselves, but we're notoriously and comparatively weak creatures. We're not covered in thick fur, you know, all this other stuff. Storms. Most humans are really terrified of storms. You know, if you grew up in the north and stuff, you get used to it. But still, you're going to go out and you know play in a storm naked. And no. most of the time, probably, probably not. not. Right. Um, so we have these really amazing ways that we sense the electromagnetic variations in weather pattern changes. We're we're, we're very sensitive to weather um, because it affects us a lot harder than other creatures. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's so many examples you can go so far. And actually circling back to martial arts or chiropractic, that sensitivity, like, you know, when you touch somebody like in, in BJJ, you, you put in a force because, you know, you're either going to get something out of it or they're going to react that you can then react to and counter. Mm -hmm. right? That's a mm -hmm. sensitivity. Yeah. You can feel it even before yeah. they're going to do it. Sometimes when you're so good, you can hear them thinking about it. You're like, oh, come <laughs> on in. Wow, thank you. That was a gift. We'll take the gift. Um, you know, and, and so we still use it. We don't use it in every aspect of our lives. It's not such a macro thing that all humans share anymore. But when you master something, I, I think you still get to use and do that real-time adaptation and evolutionary or what they call epigenetic changes where you can literally fine tune your sensory or physiological, you know, processes based on need. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which is crazy in its own right. Right. Like, I mean, the next, I think where this conversation goes from here is the next step is, is like, well, if like I, the way I'm starting to view like science and technology almost mm -hmm. is that we're trying to use machines to replace like our internal instincts yeah. of kind of sorts. Amen. And, and, and this really kind of hit me whenever I was like, I, I remember thinking I'll never get a chip put in me. Like that was a big thing that was going around, like to get chips in you, get chips in your arm. Mm -hmm. I remember in Ohio, there was like a thing where um, they were, they like, were going to mandate that at the company. If you wanted to work there, you had to get a chip in your arm. Mm. And you know, in my mind, I was like, that's crazy. I'll never do that. And then I caught myself. I was like, well, the one way I would do that was <laughs> if I could get a little, a little led screen on the inside of my arm. And it just said like how many like carbs or fat or protein <laughs> I had to eat <laughs> in order to like sustain this thing. It's tempting. Well, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's easy. Yeah. It's easier than, it's easier than the alternative. And so I had that thought, right. And then I think about a year, maybe two years later, I came to the, 
I came across a book called intuitive eating mm. and um, all about listening to your body, listening to what you should eat. Should you eat this? Should you eat that? You know, how did this make you feel? Did this make you feel stronger? Did this make you feel weaker? You know, what type of diet are you? Mm -hmm. And throughout reading that book, it hit me. It was like, holy shit. Like that was when I had this whole, like, oh my gosh, we're using science and technology to try to replace our intuition. Like we don't want, it's almost like we don't want to be responsible or we don't want to, maybe I don't want to say that we don't want to, but like there's this desire to not, to not be in tune with the intuition and to hand it over almost to a machine to tell us. I, I, I think you were right when you said that we don't want to be responsible. If we're not responsible, it's not our fault. If it's not our fault. Right. then oh, you know, uh -huh. it wasn't my decision. It just happened. I had no control over it. It's an easy way to live. It's laziness. All creatures will choose the nice soft bed versus the hard climb up the mountain in the middle of the night. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're jacked up on something where you're absolutely nuts, you know, and that's just the obvious choice. All life will do that. And right. you just, I'm going to say, unfortunately, gotten to a point where technology has taken over, you know, so many things. It's, it's no longer just convenience. It's now a replacement. And it, and it, it, mm -hmm. it, it I think it, it lessens us as, as, as a species, as individuals, as cultures. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. A huge, a huge parallel that I see and I'm experiencing this now, right? Because, um, I quit my job, what, three months ago now, I think mm -hmm. three months ago and haven't really had a source of income since then. Mm -hmm. Um, I have savings and you know, whatnot, but I always catch myself with these flashes of like, um, anxiety or lack of confidence that I'm going to be able to make it without a job. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and it's so crazy being in this parallel because I have always seen kind of the quote that's like, uh, you know, uh, a salary is uh, a salary is like the drug they give you to keep you content or something like that. It's like, it keeps you from like really growing and becoming more. It's like, and another corollary I'm seeing with this is I've seen a lot of people my own age, you know, I'm 27 and now I've, you know, I got a software engineering degree. I had or a computer engineering degree. I went and worked as a software engineer and now I quit my job and I'm living in Brazil. And so many people like on this journey, especially in the last like month, whenever I was like making all these changes, mm -hmm. people my own age are like, you know, this is the time to do it. And with me, it's always hit me weird. It's like, it's like, I, I understand, I guess, older people telling me that this is the time to do it, but somebody my own age, it, like it kind of just hits a little different. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you guys are sharing yeah, the experience. What's that? You guys are sharing the same experience in real time. It's not like, you know, me looking back like, Oh yeah, no, do it now because when you're older, it won't be as easy. No, right. people your age, obviously you're feeling what you're feeling. Right. right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because, and I guess the way I'm trying to like, I'm trying to warp this back to our, uh, our parallel where we were talking about um, like the e easy and comfortability mm -hmm. uh, because by no means, don't get me wrong. By no means was this an easy decision. And, on my third night here, like I got hit with, I think I texted you this. It was like a lot of anxiety of like, yeah. you know, did I make the right decision? It's like, I love San Diego. San Diego was dope. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> da, da, da. You, know, you get wrapped up in these head games. Right. right. <laughs> and so then, and so then I guess it's like, where was I going with this? It's like, 
you know, I, I can always fall back on a, on a software engineering position. Like it, it, I get blown up all the time for software engineering isn't going anywhere. Right. And it, and it's like, where am I trying to go with this? I'm trying to bring it back to like, laziness. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Because yeah, I guess there's a sense of like, well, I kind of wanted to tie it back, I guess, to how like the salary is the drug that keeps us comfortable almost. It's like, I, don't, I guess there's a lot of ways to go with this, right? Like there's a mixture of, you know, it's easy and comfortable. So why not just stick with the salary, stick to the status quo. Mm-hmm. And here's where I'm maybe going with this is I guess I'm probably at a point in my life where I'm like in that in-between stage of like, well, do I go and try and do this like for real and kind of like, and I guess I kind of am with the, the podcast, but like start my own thing mixed with, well, it was pretty just simple and easy to just be back in San Diego, party every weekend and just work the nine to five, you know, but it's like, there's that level of like, but there's, but there's more to live out there. And so it's like that weird mix of that in between of like, you know, do you, what do you go for mixing with, um, you know, the comfortable and the safe. And I think that's where we kind of were coming from is like, you know, I guess it's, maybe it's one of those things that's just not for everybody. I, maybe I'm making it too personal. So I'm getting caught up in my head about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that, that, that's pretty much our only filters that, that we can all come from, right? That, yeah. How we make it personal. But I mean, you know, speaking to that and like, you know, do I do comfortable or do I, and safe or do I go take those things and when do I do it? Why do you have to do it at a specific time? Why do you have to do it when you're 25? Why can't you do it when you're 65? Why do you have to do things in that order versus that order? This is great that you're doing this. I, I, I told you before, man, I'm impressed. I'm I'm inspired. I'm proud of you. I just, just all these cool. I was like, man, right on. Go, go get it because you don't know what you want until you know what you don't want. And if you're a person interested in the world, you got to go see a lot of things you don't want. I have traveled right. the world. I have done tons of different careers. One of the reasons I'm a chiropractor is because I'm a horrible employee. I do not take right. orders well. I don't believe what you believe. I think I can do it better, or I just don't like what you do. You know what I mean? Or wh- whatever it is, right? And I've right. done a lot of different things. I've traveled all over the places, uh, you know, all over the world um, for many different reasons. I've done lots of different, you know, studies and. Um, even my family life and my personal life isn't the normal trajectory. And I would personally, I would never have it any other way because I, you know, I, I don't fall into that model. And, and you're right. It is based on the individual and what you're comfortable with. But sometimes some people are comfortable with the struggle. Some people are comfortable with the challenge. Some people are comfortable with pushing the boundaries, right? That's why we have, you know, these people flying up in space or, you know, the big business people or the people that, you know, change spirituality and whatever it is. Right. I mean, that's why you have it. So even trying to put that into a, um, into some sort of box of understanding and logic, I think, uh, detracts from the enormity and the positivity that it is just do what you're supposed to do at that time. You know, when you'll probably settle down is when you have a wife, kids, or something that that's alive that you're responsible for. That's when sure. you should do it. Cause that's the right thing to do. You've taken responsibility responsible. for another wife. Um, or maybe you can still travel the world because you figured out a way to continue and then give that to somebody instead of, you know, the same neighborhood their whole life. Who knows? You know? I mean, yeah, that's interesting. You point that out. Cause that's something I've also thought about is like, you know, even people with like kids, it's like, 
Well, you know, I've always kind of questioned like, well, why can't you travel with them? Like, you know, you could, why can't you still kind of do it? And I don't have a kid, so I am not in any place to make that kind of judgment or even, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can still you, think you, you about it. You can have it, your opinions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I'm sure it comes with its own level of like extra worry. You know, you have to now think about this kid on top of everything else, you know? Yeah. And again, it's anything, any life that you take responsibility for a good person is defined on how they give back to the world around them. Right. That, that's really what it is. Yeah. And you know, if you take responsibility for a life, it is your responsibility until that life is no longer there or they can do it for themselves. Those are your only two right. ways out. And other than that, you're not doing a good job in this world. So you got to, you know, rethink right. your values. But, you know, I've, you know, playing in music and being around celebrities and my wife working in Hollywood and all that kind of stuff for many years. I've been around many billionaires, many celebrities. The majority of them do not live a regular life where their kids grow up in the same place. I think also because they just can't because paparazzi and media is freaking insane. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, people trying to come at you for something is insane. But I see these kids grow up and, you know, I've seen a lot of them grow from, I've seen them born and now they're young adults and, and they've had these amazing life experiences. They're centered. They've, they're calm. They've seen the world. They've done so much that they already know what they don't want to do. Right. And, and, right. and it makes it so much easier to be like, I do love this. I keep coming back to this or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I know if you have the resources, you can do it however you want. Um, mm -hmm. and the rest is just, you know, your comfort level and where you fit into other people's expectations or other society's expectations. And I think you, you really hit on it. You have said it twice now, and I wanted to make a point the first time, but you said it again, where you kind of figure out what you, and I think your story is a perfect example of it. It's like you figure out what you want to do by doing so many things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Right. Like, and I mean, you know, coming from a story of like being a ninja to being a samurai <laughs> to, you know, doing martial arts, to joining a band, to, um, you know, going to school for medicine, not wanting to do medicine and then realizing that you want to be a chiropractor. It's like that, like, you know, you weren't until it, it's weird. I had my dad on and he was, he was at the age of like six when he figured out he knew what he wanted to do, wow. but you know, your story. Yeah. Which is I'm always impressed which by a crazy that. story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to check out it. It's uh, episode five, I believe. I but, that, yeah. But um, yeah, you're, I mean, it, and it's just, it's so wild to hear both of these kind of stories because yours wasn't until you were 26 where mm -hmm. you're like, Oh shit, here's my calling. Like, here's how I'm able to kind of give back to people. Here's how I'm able to figure it out. And well, I mean, you know, what is figuring it out? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that search for like what you want to do. And it's, you know, trying so many different things. I feel like that's kind of where we get, we almost get robbed of it. We don't get that information when we're younger. And I don't know if it's in like an American thing, but like, we're not really, I mean, sure. In the education system, you're taught English, you're taught like social studies, you're taught math, you're taught science, you're taught all those different things, mm -hmm. but you're not really like you're learning about them, but it, like learning about something is completely different than actually like doing it every single day for eight hours a day for five days a week, which is crazy in its own right. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I guess I find, I find that really fascinating too, right. Is like that idea of, um, you gotta do a bunch of different things to be able to figure out what you don't want to do in order to figure out what you do want to do, mm -hmm. because even you could translate that to my, <laughs> and I'm just saying shit, you know, stop me whenever I'm wrong. No, 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 <laughs> man. There is no wrong. I'm, I'm just listening. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause I even find it fascinating with like Brazil right now. It's like, you know, I don't, I mean, I've met a couple of people now. And so like, you know, I'm hanging out with some people after I finished this recording and, you know, we're going to go out, but it's like, there's, it's, it's so, it's so wild because for the last, let's say two and a half, three years, I've been wanting to live in Brazil, be able to live and be wherever I want and do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Yet now that this has happened, there's like that feeling of, shit when I had that anxiety hit it's like shit that I like be careful what you wish for like because mm-hmm. you get it it's like all right well like was this actually what I wanted to do now it's like well it's like well shit like I like I'm here for two months I'm committed for two months but you know and I I like traveling and it's like you know like what it, it's like still trying to kind of I'm still bouncing around with it all you know if that makes sense it's like what I, I guess I'm still trying to make sense of the world and where I want to kind of put my foot in and, you know, figure that stuff out. And I think it's, you know, it's, uh, I don't really know where I'm going with this tangent here, but it's, uh, it's a fascinating adventure, I guess, at that point, you know, it's a fascinating piece of the human experience. It is. And it is, I think a human condition and it is something everybody should go through. And there's two things I've learned from all my travels and living different lives and doing a lot of tons of different things. Wherever you go, there you are. So you can go wherever you want. You're just putting a new face on the same person, right? You still bring mm-hmm. your baggage, your anxieties, your fears, your wants, your hopes, your dreams, your passions, your skills there. And wherever you go, people are people. They're the exact mm-hmm. same people with the exact differences of opinion, the exact types of opinion. It's just filtered through a different language and maybe a different cultural filter. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to go. It's. You know, I, I forget when I realized, I think I was like 42. I, yeah, 42. We were in, where were we? And we were coming back from Guadalajara. We've been down there for a bit and came back and we had this whirlwind bunch of trips and going and seeing music all over the world. And I had that realization. I got home like, oh my God, everywhere I go, people are exactly the same. The same thing. If I want lawyers who are, you know, into veganism and like heavy metal, I'll find them in Mexico. I'll find them in Guam. I'll find them in Siberia. I'll find them. Yeah, whatever I want, I go there and I'll get it. So it, it's interesting. So then it just becomes a function of what's the background you want behind you. You want mountains, you want lake, you want, Interesting. Sand, you want heat, whatever you want, that's where you go, right? So, and as you journey more, you'll find it too. You'll get to know that wherever you are, you're still there. So that right. place ain't going to change it. And wherever you go, there's still people. So mm-hmm. what kind of tribe do you want? And just where do you want that tribe? And what language do you like? Maybe, right? Maybe that's <laughs> an important one for you. So. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's actually a really fascinating way to put it. And I think I've had inklings of this because I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, PA. Mm-hmm. I went to college in Orlando, Florida. And then I lived out in San Diego for four years after college. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in Brazil. And it's like... You know, at the end of the day, it's like you, what is it? Like you, you receive what you are kind of thing. Like you get what you are, you receive what you put out into this world. And so, you know, whether you're in Pittsburgh, whether you're in Orlando, whether you're in San Diego, you're going to be receiving, you know, what you're putting out into the world. And it's like, and I feel like it's, that's what's happening again now that it's in Brazil. And so I guess, you know, almost to your point, it's like, (laughs) it's like you travel to kind of find yourself, I guess is like what people say, but I mean, in actuality, it's almost like 
you know, you're traveling just to find the backdrop of what you want <laughs> for your life to be. Yeah. That, I think that's the eventual realization, you know, cause you know, you, you, you already found if you don't like something about yourself, you got to change it wherever you are. You got to put in the work and the effort, you know, unless they got the chip. Right. And at this point I might use a chip. I don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, depends on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, I, my, my power is getting low. I'm going to go grab a cord. Is that all right? Okay. All right. Um, are, yeah. Are we, well, are we time? Well, we are on time. Well, uh, we can see what happens. Uh, how much, how much time do you have? Actually, I should check it. Hold on. Yeah. I'm trying. Oh, to okay. I, um, I actually have to get to a meeting in a few minutes. What time is it? Oh, okay. 45. Wow. We've been going for an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> time flies in this thing, right? Yeah, man. That was good. That's cool. Right on. Wow. Yeah. I enjoyed that. All right, cool. Well, we can wrap it up, but yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, sweet. Anything, uh, damn. Yeah. I mean, now I feel like I have a lot to think about. After this. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, if you want, we could totally do a yeah. round two. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll, uh, let me let some of this sink in and then we can bring you back on and do this again. Cause Absolutely. Whatever you, you need. I mean, this is the first one that's like got me thinking a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, a little lost for words at this point now. <laughs> right. And you know what, man, I, I do know, I know I could be a lot and I'll, and I'll just go and go feel free. Like I said, or, or like you said, anytime you need to cut me out, you just stop it right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. I, uh, no, I mean, we're still, this is still going to be put out there, all this stuff that we're saying now. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love the conversation. I mean, if you got to go, let's, uh, let's kind of wrap it up with like closing remarks. Is there cool. anything you want to, anything you want to, um, you know, get out to people, anything you want to, cause I'll ask you for some links to put down in the description below. But, um, as if you're in San Diego, go check them out. If you've never checked out chiropractic, go check out Dr. Rubin. Right on. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, is there anything you want to plug anything you want to encourage people to do? You know what? I just got one thing. I, I don't want to plug anything. I mean, you know, it, I just want to encourage people to just be better, be better than you were the day before every day, be better. And you know, it, if everybody does that every day, eventually everybody will just make a better world. You know what I mean? Put out yeah. the love, be a better person, you know, um, and try to let others 1% every day. Yeah, exactly. 1% every day. So that's it. Just be uh, better. Cool. I love it. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Rubin, for coming on. Absolutely. Check pleasure. him out in San Diego. He doesn't want to plug himself, but I mean, you know, my neck's done, you know, <laughs> a lot better since uh, seeing him. <laughs> right out, um, Been training. I do need to find someone, so I'll I need to do hit you up about yeah, hit um, me up. finding someone in Brazil. Hit me up, but we'll work it. Hell yeah, I love it. Uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening to the end of this. Um, if we said something today, uh, you know, if it angered you, definitely meditate on it. Figure out why before sending me a ten paragraph essay about why I'm wrong. <laughs> I will not read it. <laughs> it will be a waste of your time, and I will <laughs> tell you to meditate, and we can talk about it after. Um, other than that, share, share this stuff with, uh, if you got friends, family, you know, whatnot, if you've had this conversation before, share it with them. I'd love it. And other than that, let's, uh, keep growing together. Amen to that brother.